Well, last Sunday, our pulpit guest gave veiled indication that I'm rather long-winded. Actually, it wasn't so veiled. Um, And I would love to try to preach a shorter sermon than he did, but it probably won't happen. So, thank you for all of you who were concerned about Becky and I being thrown under the bus. We're fine. We survived it, and we're, we're doing okay. This past Wednesday... We uh, enjoyed the ministry of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Singers. Did you enjoy having them at Bethesda? We had some folks misunderstood, and we still had calls, I think, as late as yesterday, wondering if uh, if they were going to be in service with us this morning, but uh, they were here last Wednesday night, and they are safely back in um, New York, as I understand. But what a blessing that they were to us. Something that they uh, did that we do often hear, but something that um, in their course of their ministry to us caught my attention. Um, I couldn't help but notice how often their lyrics uh, that they sang encouraged us to lift our hands in praise and lift our hands in worship. It seemed like, you know, almost every song, every other song, and we we certainly do that here, but in the course of their concert with us, there was... um, there was more than normal opportunity for us to lift our hands and worship and lift our hands in praise. And we know that, that from Scripture that the raising of the hands is, is an act of worship that's pleasing to the Lord, and you've been doing it this morning. We also know what Paul told Timothy, that he desired that all men would pray, lifting up holy hands to the Lord. Most of us are probably familiar with the story in the Old Testament where this whole idea of the lifted hands is presented. If you're not, if it's new to you, I'll get the privilege of of presenting it to you this morning. But for all of us, if you would turn with me to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible right behind Genesis, Exodus, and go to chapter 17, and in just a couple of minutes we're going to read the text. But if you will... Stay with me here. Let me introduce, let me lay a little bit of of groundwork for where I want to go this morning because I feel like the Lord has given me something to share with you based upon that which was triggered in our time with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Singers on Wednesday night. In the Old Testament, the altar of prayer, uh, the fire of the burnt offering, was to be carefully preserved so that it would never go out. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus came to the temple, he called for it to be a house of prayer. I'm putting these things together. So under the new covenant, we know that we, you and I, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we are the temple of prayer and intercession. And something you will notice as you read Scripture, all throughout Scripture and throughout the history of the church, Whenever the people of God would drift from, away from God, and it happened often, but whenever they would drift from God, the first thing that would go would be prayer. Conversely, the first thing that would be restored and come back to them uh, was prayer. So without a doubt, the questions, and I am just being vulnerable before you this morning, the questions that hang over me today as your pastor and the pastor of this church are, are questions like these. Are we praying? Is Bethesda praying? Are the leaders of our church not only busy, but are they praying? Are we teaching our children to pray? Parents, are you teaching your children to pray? 
Are we teaching our young people and our youth to pray? And a little more specifically, are the mature believers in this church lifting their hands in the valley of present battles and in the valley of coming battles? Those of us who've been saved more than 10 years, we should be modeling prayer to those who have been saved less than 10 years. You mature believers should be a model of one who knows how to lift your hands. title of this message this morning is Lifted Hands. We lift our hands for uh, any number of different reasons. We lift our hands in the beauty of worship. We lift our hands for blessings. We lift our hands for breakthrough. We lift our hands for boldness. We lift our hands in our brokenness. We lift our hands for restoration. But my focus today, and you'll put it together as, you, as we go to the text, but my focus today is to encourage us to lift our hands in the day of present and coming battles. I believe firmly that the people of God who will not only survive, but who will thrive and shine brighter than ever in the coming battles and storms that are coming in these very last days, and we've received a word of pro- a prophetic word this morning that we are in the last days and that Jesus is coming soon. Who agrees with that today in the house? I believe that the people of God who will not only just survive, but who will thrive and shine brighter than ever in these last days with the coming storms and battles that are coming will be the people of the lifted hands. So go with me to Exodus chapter 17. Let me unpack this for just a few minutes this morning. Chapter, uh, chapter 17 of Exodus, starting with verse 8. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. Say with me, steady until sunset. That will be important later on. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar there, and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word today. When we speak of lifting our hands 
in the valley of battle. I want to propose to you three thoughts. If you're taking notes, these are the three main ideas that I want to present to you today. These are the three uh, ideas about lifting our hands in the valley of battle. The intercession and increase as we lift our hands. The influence and illumination as we lift our hands. The impartation and generational impact as we lift our hands. Please notice my alliteration. Real proud of that. Worked real hard on that for you today. Let me do them again. The intercession and increase as we lift our hands. The influence and illumination as we lift our hands. The impartation and generational impact as we lift our hands. We know from biblical commentators that the enemy, the Amalekites, were five times greater in number. Some commentators say eight times greater in number than the children of Israel. So they were, the Israelites were way outnumbered and outweighed by the Amalekites. Just a little brief note about who these Amalekites were. They were nomads in the desert south of Canaan. They were descendants of Esau, ought to tell you something, and trying to dislodge, what they were trying to do is dislodge the Israelites from this pleasant oasis. This oasis is near the place where Moses was commanded to smite the rock and water came. And they, they liked that area. They liked this little oasis in the desert. And so the Amalekites were trying to secure it for themselves, and their idea was to dislodge the, uh, the Israelites. And Moses looks at the enemy that's coming against them, and he says, really? Again? We're going to fight again? A battle again? Thousands of people under his care. Thousands of people to whom he's responsible He's the head of a family that is a nation, women, children, grandchildren that might not make it out alive, that might not even make it to sundown, may not even see the end of the day, for the enemy is coming after them to slaughter them. And if you look at previous chapters, you'll you'll see why why, uh, Moses is weary with this, because it has been one battle after another, one battle after another, relentlessly after them. And so Moses turns to young Joshua, and he gives him his marching orders. Now, here's what's probably true. Joshua is probably, at this point, too young to really grasp the gravity and the weight and the seriousness of the situation. He may well not understand how dangerous and how threatening this battle is going to be. And let me just say this, particularly to the young people here today in the house. It is easy to come into Bethesda Church and to feel the presence of the Lord as we've experienced this morning. It's easy to come in and see all the ministries that take place around here and all that is happening for the glory of God, the schools and the uh, the various language services and all of the 60-plus ministries that, that are based out of Bethesda Church. It's easy to come and see that and think it's nice, but it would be easy to not grasp That whenever you see something that is happening for the glory of God, please always remember this. That is only happening because someone has been lifting their hands. Someone has been battling in prayer. They didn't just happen. Someone has has sought the altar. Someone has been calling on God. The truth is this, the blessing that you and I are walking in today is a result of a people who have lifted their hands. And so it is incumbent upon us to say this, God, we are here, and yes, we thank you for yesterday. 
But we are the people of today. And we are here on behalf of the people of tomorrow. I thought Brent had already read my notes as he was admonishing us in the early part of the service. We're here today, and we're here on behalf of the people of tomorrow. And we must rise as the people of lifted hands. Can you say amen to that church? And Joshua moves on to fulfill his marching orders from Moses, protect the people, and to do what's right. Now, here's what we know about the age of the three guys that we see at the top of the mountain. Moses is approximately 80 years old. Aaron is about 83. And Hur is somewhere in his 80s. And yet, these three men, mature men, men of that age, are doing what any two-year-old would do, and that's just lifting their hands. These veterans of the faith just lift their hands before the Lord. And when Moses held up his hands in battle, you know the story, many of you, Israel prevailed. Israel was winning in the battle. Moses had made the strategic decision that holding up his hands was the best way, if not the only way, that he could serve his people Israel. It was the only way that he could defend them, the only way that they could have breakthrough, the only way that they could advance, the only way that they could push back the enemy. And here's what he knew was this. We need supernatural help or we are dead. And his battle was real, Bethesda. He could, he could uh, see the dust of the thousands coming toward him of the enemy. He could hear the cry of war. He could see the glistening of the swords in their hand and the sunlight as they were coming. And the whole of the New Testament teaches you and me that you and I are engaged in a very real battle, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. As you and I know this to be true, we battle with life and death every day for ourselves, for our families, for our children, for our city, for our nation, though our battle primarily is in the invisible world. But make no mistake about it, we need God's supernatural help or we are dead. But let us never, ever forget this. It is a privilege to call on God. I said it is a privilege to call on God. I was trying to remind us of that this morning in that little admonition. It is a privilege to come to the house of God in freedom. Join your voices, join your hands, join your faith with other believers to declare the greatness of our God. That is a privilege. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And there is increase that comes to us when we lift our hands. When Moses lifted his hands, the people of God were able to advance they were able to increase, and they were able to prevail. And here's the truth for you and I. When we're willing to turn off the television, hello, turn off the internet, get off of Facebook and Instagram and whatever else that you got going on and all the other distractions that we have today, when you're willing to set that aside, even for just a few moments of the day, and you just lift your hands in your home, in your house, in the presence of God, there is increase for you, dear one. There's the increase of peace. If you don't believe me, just try it. 
And not only that, but it will increase your perspective on how you see things, how you're facing the trials of your life. It will, you'll have increase of perspective. It will bring increase to your purpose. It will bring increase to your patience. Hallelujah. Preach it, Dan. And it will be increase to your joy. When the people of God will lift their hands, there is increase and you will prevail. It is a privilege to call on God for divine intervention, and we are to be a people who lift our hands. Is anybody with me this morning? Now, we can make prayer complicated. We can do that. We can complicate prayer. We can neglect prayer. Uh, we can think we've graduated from prayer, become tired or bored with it, and you gone, have gone beyond that. I keep being reminded in these days. I keep being reminded so much the simplicity of the gospel and how we are so prone to complicate it and add to it and want a new teaching and want a new this and a new that. And there are so many things that are so rudimentary and elementary to our understanding of living the Christian life. I'm going to break that down again in just a little bit. Some of us actually live as if we could even replace prayer in our lives. I've got to be honest, one of the reasons that I struggle so much with many of the church growth books, and there are good ones out there. I don't know if I've just been exposed to the ones that have some unusual philosophies, and so much of what I see that's being proliferated today, what I find uh, so disturbing about them is I will look at them and see them. I even have attended a conference, and not one mention of prayer in the whole thing. Not one mention of the lifted hands. But church, let us never forget the prayer of faith is our very identity. The prayer of faith and praying the prayer of faith is the hallmark, it is the mark of the believing church. There is no trial becoming a testimony without someone lifting their hands. You can have worship, you can have doctrine, you can have music, you can have programs, you can have smoke and lights, you can have every cutting, cute thing that's available. But without the prayer of faith, it is impossible to please God. And it's interesting that the lifted hands are not only that which identifies the believer, but when God describes one who is an unbeliever, someone who is away from God, who doesn't even want to understand God, there is a, a way that he has taught us and shown us how you can identify that person. He says that prayerlessness is the number one indicator. Well, Dan, where do you get that? Well, let me just show you quickly Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand See if there's any who seek God. Verse 4, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? Now, you and I may well know, I hope you don't, a person who calls himself a Christian but who is devouring God's people. There's criticism on their lips. They have a legalistic spirit. They can walk straight out of a worship service like this and begin trash-talking this one and that one, every ugly thing that they will come spewing out of their mouth, and they keep a bitterness about things, and they're just devouring God's people. And here's what you can know for sure. That is not someone who's going to the throne of God. 
That is not someone going to the throne of a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love for his bride. They're not doing that. The mark of someone who does not understand is that one who is not seeking God and calling on him. But dear one, God is calling, please get this, calling for a people of intercession who are willing to stand between heaven and earth. He is looking for intercessors who will stand between heaven and earth. And though we may not audibly hear the voices of those who are crying, you may and you may not, but never doubt this, there is a world out there who is crying out loud. There are people who are dying all around us in our very city, possibly in your very neighborhood, basically saying, is there anyone with a hand on God who can touch my life? Job chapter 9 says, nor is there any mediator, intercessor between us who may lay his hand on us both. And let me tell you that in the Hebrew, the image right here is one hand on God's shoulder and the other hand on man. Get that picture in your mind. That's what's being said here. Nor is there any mediator, intercessor between us who may lay lay his hand on us both. Verse 34 of Job 9, let him take his rod away from me and do not let dread of him terrify me. And we see the image of Moses in our original text with his hands raised to God to be able to touch and affect the people of God in the battle in the valley. Now let me show you, please, here. There's a wonderful supernatural kingdom balance in this thought. It's the principle of one hand on God and the other on man. But it must remain in balance. If all you have is simply one hand on the shoulder of God, that can bring a certain kind of Christianity that is blind to the needs around you, the needs of the people around you. And you see that when prayer is turned into a blessing club. Lots of people want to be part of a club. They don't want to be part of the church. They want to be part of a club. And they like to be part of the blessing club. And these people are typically praying for more sensations, more experiences, more stuff for me, more thrills, more mystical things. And typically, they can even take it further and start praying for what we would call extra uh, biblical, outside the Bible, external, extra biblical experiences that are completely out of Scripture because they want only one hand upon God. One hand on God alone can make a church selfish and self-centered. But listen, church, we touch God in order to touch others. Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. One hand on God alone results in blindness. But one hand on man's shoulder alone results in burnout and breakdown. If this is missing and you only have this, it results in burnout or breakdown. You're trying to reach your family. You're trying to be all things to all people. You're trying to reach your children. You're trying to serve. You're trying to change the world. You're trying to make a difference. You're trying to, trying to, trying to, striving, striving, striving as you're only trying to reach this way. No one understands how you feel. And if you've been in pastoral work and close to sheep and know what it is to pour your life into other people's lives, you will get your heart torn out. Count on that for sure. But your human compassion, your human compassion will come to an end. Your human patience will come to an end. Your human vision will come to an end. And even 
Your passion for souls can sometimes, if you're only like this and don't have this going on, even your passion for souls can sometimes turn into a frustration or even an anger. Basically, why aren't you getting saved? Why aren't these people doing what God's called them to do? One hand on God alone, blindness. One hand on man alone, burnout. But here's the good news, church. You put one hand on God and the other hand on man, here's what you get. You get breakthrough, you get blessing, and you get victory in the name of Jesus. You having fun yet? You and I both have known people who became so burned out in the work of God or in the ministry. I have names in my mind at this very moment. They got so burned out that they began to withdraw and pull back. I have to point you to what the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance... So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, and I am sincerely speaking to someone in love this morning, maybe you are that person who has drawn back, that person who's withdrawn. Maybe the enemy has caused you to draw back. Maybe circumstances have caused you to draw back. Maybe you've become weary in the length of the battle that has caused you to draw back. But I speak this morning the truth to you. By the Spirit of God, He's calling on you to recognize this morning that your hands, which were at one time raised to Him, dear one, you've allowed those hands to begin to fall. Verse 38. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, which means eternal state of death or destruction and ruin. We are not of those, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So I talked to you about a moment ago about the simplicity of the gospel. There are times I need it really simple. I need it really broken down to its most basic elements. Let me give you the Christian life in its simplest form. You may want to write this down. Hopefully it will help you someday. Christian life, particularly as you face battles, and you will, battle after battle after battle, and I've told you many, many times, the enemy will rarely, if ever, give you the luxury of only one battlefront going on at a time. There are usually many. For most of us, there are many. There's never just one. That's too easy. There's usually several battlefronts going on at any time. Simplest form, and I want to explain this idea of lifting your hands in the valley of battle as simply as I can, and I find it. Write this down in Psalm 50, verse 15. It's so simple. Psalm 50. Call upon me. Read it with me, please. Call upon me. Okay, there's your good rehearsal. Now read it a little more with a little more intensity, a little more fire and passion. Do it again. Let's go. Call It's the simplest form of living the Christian life. In everything, I call on him in trouble. He delivers me. 
And then after he has delivered me, I get the privilege of going, wow, look what the Lord has done, and I give you glory. That's the simplest thing. After all my years of ministry, I have come to the place where I recognize that my greatest responsibility to you, to myself, to others, is to bring us all to the simplicity of this. You call upon him in the day of trouble. Call upon the Lord that he would deliver you, and then you lift your hands to give him praise. Let me say this to those of you who are facing a battle right now this morning or you see a battle coming your way. The Spirit of the Lord would have me remind you of what we learn from Paul from the, in the book of Romans. It tells us, when we know not how to pray, the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You know what, church? Sometimes the biggest trouble we have is when we think we know how to pray. Sometimes that gets in the way the most. We think we know how. And for every situation, we have cataloged a library, and we have an automatic prayer that's coming for every situation. Can I just challenge you this morning? I would like to suggest to all of us that we ask God to bring us to the place of lifting our hands before we just automatically spit out what we've learned or what we know or what we think is going to work or what we think is... No, that we adopt the position of simply lifting our hands and saying, Holy Spirit, pray through me. What do you want me to say? What do you want me... Keep this fresh in me today, O oh God. What do you want me to say? I will call on you in the day of trouble, knowing that you will deliver me, and then I will give you the glory. We lift our hands for intercession and increase. But there is an influence and an illumination when we lift our hands. The Bible tells us that when Moses lifted up his hands, Israel prevailed. When we let his hands fall down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So it was very simple. It went like this. Hands up, victory. Hands down, the enemy gained ground. Hands up, victory. Hands down, the enemy gained the ground. Don't you wonder how long it took them to figure that out? No, no, really. How long did it take them to figure out the correlation between this and this? And, you know, you wonder how it played out. Moses goes up in the morning, early in the morning, he has his hands up for two or three hours, comes down for his coffee break, and suddenly the enemy starts to gain ground. So he goes back, he lifts his hands, and Israel starts winning again, and then it's time for his lunch break with Chick-fil-A, right? And while he's eating, assuming it's not Sunday, and while he's eating his sandwich, then the enemy starts to tear the Israelites up. And so they say, no dessert for you, Moses, get back up on that hill. I wonder how long it took them to make that correlation. And the bigger question is, I wonder how long has it taken you to make that correlation? This is the illumination. Listen to me. The tide of our life's battles hinges on the location of our hands. Get that. The tide of our life's battles hinges on the location of our hands. There are two cycles here, and I want you to know them both. There's the cycle, there's the hands-down cycle. 
And it, it, it goes over and over and over again. And some of you have lived it time and time and time again. It starts with frustration. Everything frustrates you a little bit more. Your husband frustrates you. Your wife frustrates you more. Your kids are driving you crazy. Everything frustrates you a little more. Than, you're, you're irritated with stuff in the church. You come to church you know, to try to have an enjoyable time, and somebody irritates you there. The freeways are, 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 are packed with all kinds of intensity, and, and you're about to lose your salvation on the freeway. And then, and then you go to People at work, they're dancing on your last nerve. The frustration, hands down, all of that. And then that frustration turns into fatalism where you just don't care and you let everything go. Fatalism results in fear with the hands down. When you're in prayer, those things that should fall, when you're in prayer, those things that should fall into the right size and the right perspective before the great and mighty and sovereign God, by the way, get this, things will fall in the right perspective when you take them before the Lord. They become the right size. They don't get blown out of proportion. The right size, the right perspective, but now... When you are in this position of hands down, they become big and overpowering and overwhelming to you. And then that's followed by fatigue. And so here's the cycle. Frustration, fatalism, fear, fatigue, fatalism, frustration, fatalism, fear. Sometimes failure then gets in there just to make things more interesting. And fatigue all over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm describing some of your lives. But then there's the cycle of the lifted hands. It's not that you're perfect. No, no, no. You live on the same earth as the rest of us. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. But you've got your hands up. And when you have your hands up, there's faith in your heart. And all of a sudden, you begin to recognize that because there's a a measure of faith in your heart, be it ever so small or the size of a grain of mustard seed, you recognize there's faith in your heart, but that gets stirred up, and all of a sudden, that faith begins to identify itself. There's a fire coming within you because your hands are up. And when the fire begins to burn within you stronger, then you begin to see the, the favor of God. And as you see the favor of God, you recognize the faithfulness of God. And it goes all over again. That builds more faith. The faith builds a fire even hotter. From the fire to the favor of God. From the favor of God to recognizing his faithfulness. It's the hands up cycle. But the hands of Moses became heavy. So I ask you to remember this message in three pictures. Please stay with me. And stay seated for the next, as I bring this to a close in the next couple of hours. Picture number one, an 80-year-old man with his hands up calling on God. Picture number two, this is the picture of the church where you see the three of them. You see the arms of Moses start to droop, and two old men, imperfect men, Aaron and Hur, one on one side, one on the other, they go up and and hold up the arms of Moses. This is a picture of the, the sense of unity. This is a sense of the church and what happens in the church, and why the church has value and importance. Bethesda, with the coming storms in our city and in our nation, we need to be united as a church as we have never been before for the glory of the name of Jesus. For the enemy that is outside cannot overcome us. You didn't hear me. But rather... When we are united and we have determined we are going to be a people of the lifted hands, there is a sense in each of us that are part of the church, I'm in this church to protect the vision. I'm in this church to be a guardian of the peace. I'm in this church to 
to forgive quickly. I'm in this church to not be easily offended. I'm in this church to speak words of peace, to speak words of life, to speak words of love. I'm in this church to lift up the hands of our pastors and our church leaders and our brothers and our sisters. And I am ready, I don't know about you, But I'm ready to say to the devil himself, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, for we are the body of Christ with our hands raised together. And when we come together in what I like to refer to as Psalm 133, unity, you know what that is, how good and how pleasant when men dwell together? It's like the oil, it's like the dew. For there God commands his blessing to fall. When we come together in Psalm 133 unity and our hands are lifted high, guess what? We see the word of God. We see the promises of God. The anointing of God gives us victory. But let the hands fall down. Let us become lazy, lethargic, apathetic toward the things of God. Let the hands come down. You can have all the promises, you can have all the doctrine, you can shout at the devil, you can dance and say he's under my feet all you want. But if there is division in the heart and murmuring and bitterness, it is, it, it's the enemy that wins and not us. But I'm looking for a people this morning who say I'm willing to declare here and now on this day that Bethesda says, not for us. Our battle is for souls. Our battle is for our city. Our battle is for our families and for our children. Our battle is for our church to go on in the glory of the name of Jesus. Picture number one, an old man with his hands up and he's calling out to God. That's you or me. Picture number two, there's just three of them. But you see the unity in that picture when you put the two men holding up the arms of Moses and the victory comes. But the last picture is a picture of impartation. Here we go. The last part of verse 12 of Exodus 17 says this. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder. Write this for a testimony that it would be brought, be brought back into the hearing of all the Joshuas that are to follow. Let them know and see what's happened on this day. Verse 15, Moses built an altar there, and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Verse 16, he said, they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. First picture. You or me with our hands raised calling out to God for victory in whatever battle, whatever valley we're going through. Second picture, the church, people coming together, holding up each other's hands, each other's arms in prayer. Not only the church leadership, but one another. Every department of this church, every ministry of the church. Third picture, the sun is coming down. The young men have fought in the valley. It's not a 21st century battle with drones from hundreds of kilometers away. No, it's face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat with, with bloody messes all over the ground, laying everywhere. But at the end of the day, God gave Israel the victory. And you can see on the battleground there as it's kind of come to its conclusion. You can see the adrenaline rushing through the young men as they've had victory. God's given them victory, and they're saying, we're going to live another day. We're going to be Okay. Our children are going to be okay. And then after that, 
and their exuberance and in their joy of what's happened in that situation, then the bragging and the boasting begins. Do you see what I did that, to that one guy? He didn't have a hope once I got a hold of him. Did you see that? Another one says, yeah, well, I had three at one time. Did you see me take on three at one time? I tore them to pieces, and this one starts bragging. This one starts rejoicing what's happened, and this one takes place, and that one. And all of a sudden, in this jovial celebration that's going on, one of them happens to glance up to the mountain. And then he looks again, and all of a sudden, little by little, it gets quieter. And all that bragging stops. And he says, yes, look, look. And they all look up there and they see three men, their hands raised. And one by one, the bragging stops. As they stare at the top of that mountain, one of them says, you know know what, guys? This has not been by our might. This hasn't been by our power. And he sees the hands raised. And can I just tell you this, Bethesda, it's not in the text, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine them getting on their knees and saying, oh God, forgive us for thinking that we could do this on our own. Forgive us for thinking that we're hot stuff. <laughs> and that we had all that. Forgive us, oh God. As they look up at Moses, Aaron and her with their hands raised, and they begin to remember why that happened. And one of them says, I'm just a 19-year-old. I'm just a 21-year-old. I'm just a 23-year-old. God, teach me to remember that I need you. Oh, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I have received something today, and I need this impartation. And because of what I've seen, because of what I've lived, because of what I've experienced, I want to live my life lifting my hands to you calling on you in the day of trouble that you would deliver me and that I would be quick to honor you and give you praise. No wonder the Brooklyn Tabernacle singers remind us so often on Wednesday night of our, the need for us to lift our hands. My generation, and there are plenty of us in this room, we have a solemn responsibility and obligation to be people of impartation. Let those who come behind us find us faithful. And if our lives speak anything to those who come behind us, let our lives say this, after I am dead and gone and buried in a grave, let it be said, he called on God in the day of trouble, and God delivered him because he's alive, he's good, he's mighty, and a powerful God and a faithful God. And then he was faithful to lift his hands to give God praise in his lives. Church, let our lives be living epistles known and read of all men that point them to the mountain and the God who answers us on the mountain. Can I hear one last amen in Jesus' name?
Would you stand with me, please? Everyone, please don't leave the room. Would you please give one more minute for God to let speak to you about this message? Please. We get so anxious to get out of here right at a critical point when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and dealing with us. There's nothing you have to do that is more important than let the Lord speak to your heart. Give yourself just a moment. Give it to you, not to me. Oh, God, help us to live our lives with hands that are united and lifted unto you. There's a simple call this morning. I'm asking if there's anyone who says, Pastor Dan, this message was for me. I've been in this cycle of fatigue and frustration and fear and failure and fatigue and frustration going on and on. I, and my, I, I have to be honest, my hands have started to come down or they have been down for a season. But today I want to bring myself to the Lord today saying, Holy Spirit, strengthen me. I want to lift my hands to you again. If that's you, I want you to slip out quickly from where you are and give me two minutes down here at this altar. I'm going to dismiss this as quickly as I can. Slip out from where you are if I've just described you. Come on, do it quickly. Balcony, we'll wait on you to come down here. Come quickly if that's you. Come quickly. Very, very quickly. Main floor balcony. Maybe husband and wife are coming together. Take each other's hand and come down. No shame in it. It's just an honest realization of where you are. Please come close, making room for any who come behind might come behind you. Maybe you're saying, I'm in the valley, Pastor Dan. I'm in the valley of battle right now. Maybe for your health, it may be a diagnosis that the doctor's given you. Maybe news that you weren't expecting to receive from your family. Maybe it's an economic battle for your job. Whatever it is. But you say, I'm coming this morning with hands raised to say, oh God, I'm going to call upon you in the day of trouble and believing that you're going to deliver me. If that's you, slip out from where you are and come down and just, we're just going to have a quick word of prayer this morning before we dismiss. That's all it is. Slip out from where you are. Come on quickly, folks. Quickly, quickly. There's something about the response. Rather than just slipping out the door, some are so prone to do so quickly. Come on, respond to the Lord if he's moved on your heart today. Who here is calling on the Lord in the day of trouble? Come quickly. And some of you may be saying, Pastor Dan, I've been in a battle so long that I've given up on the battle. I haven't given up on the Lord necessarily, but I have given up on the battle. And my hands have dropped. But I'm going to step forward this morning to say to the enemy, I will not draw back. I will not draw back. I will not withdraw. I know that's not pleasing to the Lord. And I'm going to lift my hands in the day of battle. If that's you, slip out from where you are quickly and come. Come for your son, for your daughter, for your family. Come for your marriage. God, I'm coming to you. I'm bringing it to you. Maybe I brought it to you a thousand times. I'm bringing it to you again. And I want everyone who's in the front, I want you to lift your hands. This is all about the lifted hands. Lift your hands before the Lord. Everyone here. Lift your hands before the Lord. Maybe you've never done it before. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we are lifting our hands today, recognizing it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your Spirit, says the Lord. And we're going to trust in you, and those with lifted arms today are calling upon you in the day of battle, and we are believing, oh God, that you are going to deliver us. If we have been people who have drawn back or have withdrawn, Lord, forgive us for that, and give us the strength and renew something within us. Fan the flame within us, the fire within us, that we might go on and press on toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Give us the strength to go on. Give us the faith to go on. Give us the courage to go on. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. I want everyone in the house, lift your hands. Come on, let's be a people of the lifted hands. Everyone in the house, lift your hands. And just begin to say, Lord Jesus, we need you today. Come on, call upon the Lord. Declare your need of him today. Come on, church, speak it out right now. Speak it out right now. Lord, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. With what we are facing right now, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. So, so Lord, for that which we're in today, for that which is coming, we declare that you are the God who is the victor, and you cause your people to be victorious in Christ Jesus, and we bless you for that today. Blessed be your holy name.